We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go. Episode 605 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, July 5th, 2023. Hope that you had a nice July 4th. Hope that whatever you did on your July 4th, you enjoyed, including if you stuffed your face full of food, like hot dogs, like the great Joey Chestnut. How about that guy, the world's greatest eating superstar? He on Tuesday dealt with a rain delay, and he then won the Nathan's Famous 4th of July hot dog eating contest. Again, his 16th title, (laughs) he ate 62 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes. Think about that. 62 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes. What can you do in 10 minutes? Don't tell me, please. (laughs) But Joey Chestnut, he in 10 minutes can eat 62 hot dogs and buns. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, we went to a pool party on July 4th. I talked to someone who, believe it or not, is friends with a grade school teacher of Sam Howell. You never know. Who knows who? Well, I don't know what kind of a student in grade school Sam Howell was. I'm not sure that I really care either. Uh, But a more relevant question is what kind of a quarterback for the commanders will Sam Howell be? Well, coming up next segment, a high IQ guest, Tej Seth. He is a data scientist for Sumer Sports, which is one of the top football analytics companies. Uh, He recently wrote an article examining who will be the leap quarterback of the 2023 NFL season? Who will be the breakout quarterback of this coming season? And among the candidates is Sam Howell. Uh, Tej will explain why, and we'll go in-depth on Sam and a lot more. Tej Seth knows his stuff as the greatest head coach in Redskins history, Joe Gibbs would say. Tej Seth, he is super smart. He's super smart. That is correct, Joe. Super smart. Uh, And Tej Seth 
will be with us next segment. Also on the show, I'll react to Capitals news on July 4th, the re-signing of restricted free agent defenseman Martin Fehervari to a three-year contract extension. If that's not one of the great names in Washington, D.C. sports, Fehervari, I don't know what is. Uh, And I will discuss (laughs) a bad last few days for the Nationals and Orioles. The Nats have lost the first two games of a four-game series against the National League Central leading Cincinnati. Reds at Nationals Park. The O's have lost the first two games of a four-game series at the New York Yankees, and the Nats and the O's, each team on Tuesday, lost by the same score, 8-4, although each team reportedly is making a notable call-up from AAA. Lots to talk about with the Nats and the O's. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jack L on me not doing shows for the first three days of last work week uh, due to me having lost my voice. Uh, Writes Jack, I hope you are back to square one and fully well for me and I'm sure for many other listeners. My mornings were out of sync on the three days on which there was no AGP. Though glad you took the time to recover. Hope you got extra TLC from the missus. Thank you for the email, Jack. Much appreciated. Well, if by extra TLC from the missus, you mean a double middle finger, uh, then yes. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Actually, this is our ninth wedding anniversary, July 5th. Can you imagine nine years with me? Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, And actually longer if you factor in uh, how long we dated for. We started dating in uh, 2009. So geez, uh, 14 years. Uh, Boy, she deserves a medal for putting up with me (laughs) for about a decade and a half now. Email from Keith Horton off our conversation on Monday's show, episode 604, about Commander's Team President Jason Wright off the uh, multiple reports this past Friday evening that incoming Commander's owner Josh Harris will be keeping Jason for now. Uh, writes Keith, Al, glad you are feeling better, and you deserved some time off in any event. Let me preface the following by noting that Jason Wright clearly is articulate, intelligent, and more than deserving of his hiring in 2020. That said, there are two major issues that have not been discussed in the local media uh, directly related to the question of Jason's future. The narrative during his tenure has been that Jason has been free to make independent decisions. Let me diverge momentarily by noting the great interview that you did with the former United States ambassador to Belgium, Howard Gutman, who emphasized that the new ownership group will use a community-based model in making decisions, that decisions will be made from the perspective of the best interests of the community, and that profit slash success will logically follow for making decisions in this way. I walked away from the Howard interview believing that Josh Harris will view ownership in holistic terms, meaning that he sees the front office, the players, the coaches, the fans, the media, etc., all having roles. And that decisions will be made by taking all of these community-based considerations into account. Jumping back to the issue at hand, I believe that Jason Wright seriously mishandled two major situations. Jason was asked repeatedly about whether the Beth Wilkinson report slash findings should be released. He always said something along the lines of no comment or that the Wilkinson investigation was in the past. To me, 
That response was not being made in the community-based slash best interest standard that we anticipate Josh Harris utilizing. The second issue has to do with Jason being frustrated with the perceived negative media coverage of the team, resulting in him referring to the ghosts of Christmas past still causing problems. A number of the workplace misconduct victims were rightly appalled by these comments. Whether Jason intended these comments for the Wilkinson victims, the fact remained that many of them were understandably upset. By this point, they were not alleged victims, as their accounts were clearly corroborated and accepted by the league and the team. Why would Jason go there under any circumstances? What was to be gained by making such a comment? Again, how would such a comment be acceptable under the community-based decision-making model that Josh Harris is set to employ? These are two examples of Jason Wright making decisions that appear to be in the interests of Daniel Snyder. And while loyalty to ownership is laudable, given the toxicity associated with our owner, it would seem entirely plausible that Jason Wright can be removed after a transition period. Jason should be thanked for his contributions and by all accounts will have no trouble landing on his feet. I would never call for anyone to be fired. But I wanted to point out the difficulty reconciling the manner in which Jason has made decisions with the mission statement of the new ownership group moving forward. Uh, Thank you for the email, Keith. Uh, Excellent email. Very well thought out. Keith made a lot of good points. So for those who don't know, the ghosts of Christmas past, uh, Jason Wright last August 13th did a roundtable with people who cover the commanders. Uh, He did this prior to the team's preseason opening loss to the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field. And Jason in this session said of improving commander's business, quote, the moment we've gone a few months without another thing, ghosts of Christmas past popping up, it will accelerate even further, end quote. Uh, And the Ghosts of Christmas Past reference uh, pretty clearly uh, was a reference to the scandals and the controversies from the team's past that have constantly come up in recent years. Uh, Like, yes, the various layers to the workplace misconduct scandal. And Jason should have never used a phrase as flippant as Ghosts of Christmas Past regarding the workplace misconduct scandal, especially considering this. One of the layers of the workplace misconduct scandal, one of the ghosts of Christmas past, is what certainly could be viewed as an alleged sexual assault. Uh, It was on June 21st, 2022, actually the night before that second congressional session on the team's workplace misconduct scandal, that we got a report from Will Hobson of the Washington Post providing details on what allegedly happened between Dan Snyder and a then Redskins employee in April 2009, resulting in a reported $1.6 million settlement. Uh, The alleged incident occurred on Dan's private plane while flying back from the Academy of Country Music Awards in Las Vegas. And according to the report, the former Skins employee, quote, accused Snyder of asking her for sex, groping her, and attempting to remove her clothes, end quote. Uh, That information came from a letter sent by an attorney for the team, to the then Redskins employee's lawyer in 2009. Now, Dan denied the allegations. An in-house investigation that was run by the Skins' then general counsel, David Donovan, who reported to Dan, resulted in the accusation that the then Redskins employee fabricated 
the allegations as part of an extortion attempt, uh, the letter from Dan's lawyer threatened the then Redskins employee with litigation. And per the Washington Post, included, quote, allegations about the woman's personal conduct, including that she wore revealing clothing and flirted with other men on the trip to Las Vegas. And quote, who knows what is true and what is not true about what happened on that flight back from Vegas. But if it is true that Dan Snyder did these things, then we in this workplace misconduct scandal haven't had just sexual harassment. We have had, again, what certainly could be viewed as sexual assault and by the owner of the team. So to refer to that as a ghost of Christmas past, not the way to go if you're Jason Wright. So I don't know if the ghost of Christmas past thing was just a failed attempt at humor. I mean, we all say things that we regret. I don't want to kill Jason for using that phrase, but that was uh, an ill-advised phrase. Uh, you know, Jason, in his tenure as team president, has reported directly to Dan Snyder. Dan has been Jason's boss. It's not surprising that Jason, at least publicly, has talked about things and framed things in a, shall we say, forgiving way, if not pro-Dan way. But bottom line, I do have a hard time seeing Josh Harris ultimately retaining Jason Wright as the head of the team's business operations. But you never know. Well, I do know that if you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that is always ready to fight for you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace provides passionate advocacy on behalf of injury victims designed to help them and their families move forward after the most difficult of times. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. How about this? Two verdicts against Merrill Dow totaling $132 million. Yes, Paulson and Nace has taken on Big Pharma and won. Uh, Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. Uh, just last July, Bradley versus the United States of America. Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. So this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit PaulsonandNace.com. That's PaulsonandNace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Well, one of the great things about the NFL is the unpredictability. We think we know, and then it turns out that we all know nothing 
Uh, we see this in the performances of teams. We see this in the performances of players. Nobody knows for sure what Sam Howell will be as a commander's quarterback. It may be that he's terrible, but it may also be that he's good. Maybe even very good. I am pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast right now, Tej Set. Uh, Tej Seth is a data scientist for Sumer Sports, which is a quantitative analysis company aimed at creating precision in player acquisition and roster management in the NFL. Uh, Tej for SumerSports.com recently wrote a terrific piece headline, quote, who is this year's leap quarterback, end quote. Uh, the idea is that these days, they're each NFL season is a quarterback who makes a giant leap, like, say, the Philadelphia Eagles' Jalen Hurts last season. And so the premise of the article is, who will be the leap quarterback of the 2023 season? Tej lists seven leap quarterback candidates for 2023. Among them, yeah, Sam Howell. Uh, you could follow Tej on Twitter, at Tej, FB Analytics, and Tej is spelled T-E-J. Hey, Tej, how are you? Yeah, great. Thanks again for having me on. Uh, really excited to, to talk with you again. It was, it was great last time I was here, so you know, looking forward to this conversation as well. Yeah, great to have you back on the show. Before I ask you about Sam Howell, and uh, you get everyone all excited about Sam, how exactly would you define a leap quarterback? I know that's, that's a great question. And like you mentioned with Jalen Hurts, there is usually one quarterback every season that we see go from playing at a below average or, or average level to having an almost MVP season. And, you know, I, I just chose in the piece to go back to 2017 with Jared Goff, where he had one of the worst rookie seasons of all time. And his second year under Sean McVay, uh, you know, adding Brandon Cooks there, adding Cooper Cup, it really took a, took a leap and, and played at, at a very high level. And then after that, we have Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. So, you know, you can see these quarterbacks where in their second or third year in the league, we had a wide range of, of uncertainty about them. And they end up playing at that high level that, that we, we didn't really expect from, from any of them because we know how hard it is to play quarterback in the NFL. In figuring out who exactly is making a leap, uh, you base that on EPA, expected points added? Yes, I, I used expected points added, and I, I looked at the difference between the previous season's uh, expected points added and then, and then what happened in that season. So amongst the lead quarterbacks that I talked about in the article, they usually had you know an, an upwards of 150 or more ex difference in expected points added. So they were taking a really big jump going from you know usually ranked below 20th in the league to you know, top five in, in most cases. There are multiple versions of EPA. Which one do you like to use? So the, the most popular one, I would say, is uh, based on the work of, of Ben Baldwin and, and Sebastian Carl. It's, it's uh, the NFL Fast R public EPA package. And, and that's the one that you'll see most commonly used on, on public-facing things. But PFF has their own version and True Media has their own version. But they're 99% they're similar at the end of the day. They're, they're measuring the same things. You, in your piece, identified commonalities among leap quarterbacks, uh, characteristics that can help to identify future leap quarterbacks. What jumped out at you in this regard? Yeah, the, the biggest one was was playing in their, their second or, or third year, which, which we know Sam Howell is in. But I think another really interesting one was having that true number one receiving option that's 
ranked top 10 in the league, whether they were added to these quarterbacks teams the year before they took the leap or they were there before was, was really crucial. We know how much A.J. Brown helped Jalen Hurts last year or Jamar Chase helping Joe Burrow the year before. So I think that's really good when, when you look at Sam Howell and, and having Terry McLaurin there as his receiver one that, that you can argue is, is a top 10 receiving option in the league. All right. So specific to Sam Howell, what strikes you in thinking about his uh, candidacy uh, as elite quarterback for 2023? Yeah, so Sam Howell is a really interesting case, right? So when, when you look at kind of where he stacked up compared to other quarterbacks coming out of college in, in the 2020 season, it was a little bit weird because of COVID, but with Michael Carter and Javante Williams and Deami Brown, who's, who's also in the commanders, he ranked fourth in yards per attempt and third in PFF's big-time throw rate. Like, very, very good quarterback, you know, a good quarterbacking season, but wasn't able to come out of, of college that year due to uh, the, the eligibility and, and, you know, ended up having a 2021 season where he dropped down to 20th in yards per attempt. So going from top five to 20th ended up, you know, putting him into the, the fifth round of the draft. But if you hold on to that prior of we've seen what he can do with a good supporting cast, from 2020, that makes him a candidate for this, this league quarterback, really, because all these quarterbacks that we see that have made the leap were productive in college at, at some point, which is why they, they got drafted into the NFL. The, the only thing for Sam Howell is being a fifth-round pick compared to like Jalen Hurts being a second-round pick or, um, or, or you know, even like someone like Joe Burrow being the number one overall pick is that is a, a big predictor of your, of your NFL ability is, is – uh, your draft position, but we've seen all the time, you know, players like Dak Prescott drafted in the fourth round uh, kind of come out of nowhere. So I think that's why Sam Howell had to be included on this list. We locally have had a lot of conversation about Sam Howell being a fifth round pick, a 2022 fifth round pick. As you know, the numbers are clear. An overwhelming majority of non-first-round quarterbacks do not become good or even decent NFL quarterbacks to say nothing of day three quarterbacks. But on the other hand, and granted, I am a Commanders fan. I want Sam Howell to do well. But Sam, at least to me, is not your normal day three quarterback, given that he in the 2021 offseason was viewed as the potential number one overall pick in the 2022 draft, given uh, that he was the number 34 overall player on the Pro Football Focus big board for the 2022 draft. But again, I'm a Commanders fan. I want Sam Howell to be good. As an objective observer, what do you think is the right way to view Sam being a 2022 fifth-round pick? I'm with you in the sense that the prior that most of us started with Sam Howell, even if you go back to his high school days where he was a four-star recruit coming out of high school and and going to North Carolina, but then the the prior that we started with Sam Howell was he's a projected first-round pick after that, that 2020 season. That's Usually when we start talking about quarterbacks being drafted, it's the year before they, they get drafted, right? So that's that's what we saw with Sam Howell was it was him and Spencer Rattler at, at the top of the board in that offseason. And then you know, 2021 didn't go as well as he, he would have hoped, and he ended up dropping the draft because of that. But I don't think you know going from a possible number one overall selection to fifth-round pick is like too drastic of, of a drop. I think that he's probably somewhere in the middle between those two things. And, you know, something that is noticed a lot in football is, is usually most things are, are in the middle of, of their, um, their floor and their ceiling. And I, I think Sam Howell is, is one of those cases. 
You do a lot with college football. Have you found anything in terms of statistics for quarterbacks in college football that help to predict how those quarterbacks will be in the NFL? We know that projecting how these guys will do is so tough, and there are so many misses by NFL teams on quarterbacks in NFL drafts. But statistically speaking, is there a metric or are there metrics uh, on which we should especially focus? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's very tough to, to predict uh, quarterbacks college to, to NFL. I think it's, a, it's one of the toughest things to do. We've seen so many GMs that have done it once not be able to do it a second time. And so I think, you know, when, when you look at something like college completion percentage over expected, that can kind of give you a, a uh, kind of like a, a good base for, for what to work with. But like, again, like, College football uh, completion percentage over expected only gives like certain information about a quarterback. It doesn't tell you about their how often they they take sacks and and different stuff like that. But when when you look at Sam Howell's um, completion percentage over expected in college in 2020, he was plus five percent. So he was five percent better at completing passes than the the average college quarterback, which was fifth in in the entire country. But then in 2021, his, his final year of college, he was an average college quarterback at, at completing passes. So again, I think he's about somewhere somewhere in the middle between that. But where he really stood out in, in completion percentage over expected was his deep ball ability. At, on passes 20 plus yards, he was one of the best quarterbacks every single year in college. And so that's where I think the hope can come from for Commanders fans in, in 2023. Much more with Ted Seth in moments. Uh, we as Commanders fans have hope in Sam Howell, and we all have hope that the home and auto insurance markets get better. Uh, They are messes right now. We are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even when the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. Uh, You right now have every reason to shop your home and auto insurance, and that's why you should get with BMC insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. You'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, a loyal listener of this podcast. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. BMC Insurance, it offers home insurance, auto insurance, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens, of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. Uh, What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor for your insurance needs. BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. It has team members who actually shop clients' insurance every year when they renew. And BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. You see, when people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, And BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. 
More now with Tej Seth, data scientist for Sumer Sports. Uh, he recently identified the commander Sam Howell as a potential leap quarterback for the 2023 season. So Tej, your other six leap quarterback candidates for this coming season are the San Francisco 49ers, Trey Lance, the Chicago Bears, Justin Fields, the New England Patriots, Mac Jones, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Kenny Pickett, the Green Bay Packers, Jordan Love, and the Atlanta Falcons, Desmond Ritter. When you look at those guys and Sam Howell, which guy is most likely to be the leap quarterback for this coming season, in your opinion? Yeah, I, I do think that it is Justin Fields, and, and the betting market uh, kind of lines up there as well. When, when you look at the, the MVP uh, probability for, for all of these leap quarterback candidates, Justin Fields is sitting about at about 5%, uh, and, and you know that's the 10th highest uh, of any quarterback to, to win MVP this year. So the betting market can see a path for him to do that. And you look at how they added DJ Moore, and we know his rushing ability is there, but you know, it's, it's still a smaller percentage uh, when you just pick one individual quarterback. But then I, I could also see, you know, it, just going in order of, of the probabilities, Jordan Love is, is a possible scenario. And then you, you can kind of work your way down between the, the 49ers quarterbacks, whether they go with Trey Lance or, or Brock Purdy and, and kind of down from there. So, you know, it's, it's tough to exactly nail one, which is why uh, multiple candidates were listed. But I, I do think that Fields has the highest chance of, of all of them. Justin Fields, of course, is a major run threat. Uh, Sam Howell is a significant run threat. There are no absolutes, but how much of a must is it for the modern NFL quarterback to be a big factor with his legs? I definitely think it's a it's a huge plus to have a mobile quarterback at this point. I mean, not only what they add with their rushing ability, it's also the gravity that the, the mobile quarterback brings pass rushers to get off at a slower speed against mobile quarterbacks because they don't want to be burned around the edge on, on a designed rush or a scramble. And then it even adds to the running game as well. Linebackers will flow more with the, the quarterback handing off the ball uh, sometimes than the running back that's that's getting the handoff himself. So I think a mobile quarterback can do so many things for, for your offense, which is nice. And then we've also seen Eric Bieniemy have, you know, be able to have success uh, in an offense with Mahomes being being pretty mobile. And so you think about applying that to Sam Howell and how like the just like having someone who can extend a play or take off it as a, as a scrambler can really help the enemy design this offense to fit Washington's needs. It's a funny thing with Sam Howell. If he plays well for the commanders this coming season, that of course is great uh, for our team. But if he doesn't play well for the commanders, this coming season, that also could be great for the team because it could bottom out and perhaps have a shot at taking a stud quarterback in the 2024 NFL draft. All of that said, the commanders have new ownership in the Josh Harris group coming in. Head coach Ron Rivera this coming season almost certainly will be coaching for his job. So he's not exactly incentivized uh, to bottom out. But when it comes to what's in the best interest of the team, it seems to me that Sam Howell playing a lot this coming season, regardless of his play, uh, is what is best for the team. Yeah, I, I, I really like the way you put that. I think that's where the disparity probably comes from is if Ron Rivera is coaching for his job and Sam Howell is not working in the first four to six games of the season, they can pull the plug and go to Jacoby Brissett to try to get to you know eight, nine wins to, to have a respectable record. But if you were, you know, perfect world, new, like let's say new coach that, that had a long leash in there, I would play Sam Howell for the whole season because if he does end up being even a 16th best quarterback in the league, 
the surplus value you're getting on his contract of being a fifth round pick with two more years left after this season uh, at a, a very, very low salary, it will be one of the best values in, in all of football. And then, like you mentioned, if it doesn't work out and he's bad, he's, he's the 28th best quarterback in football, you're looking at probably a top five pick. I, know, I mean, Washington has a pretty good supporting cast, but we know how important the quarterback is. And that's where the, the Caleb Williams, Drake May, uh, you know, whoever the, the QB3 ends up being will, will get drafted this year. And I, I think that could be really beneficial for Washington if, if it doesn't work out with Howell. The Commanders for the 2022 regular season finished number 11 in the NFL in total non-quarterback wins above replacement for pro football focus. So if you look at the total PFF war for each team without factoring in quarterback war, the Commanders actually were 11th in the NFL. If Sam Howell can be just decent, can you see the Commanders being a playoff team this coming season? I I definitely think so, especially when you look at the landscape of the NFC, where the majority of of the good teams are in the NFC East. I don't know if if any division will have necessarily two teams worthy of of making the playoffs other than the NFC East. So I could could definitely see that for sure. When you look at Washington having so much instability at quarterback in Ron Rivera's tenure between, you know, Alex Smith and, and going to Taylor Heineke. And then last year with, with Carson Wentz and then back to Heineke, like they really haven't had a, a quarterback play a, a full season at like an, an above average level. So I think if Washington were, was able to get that, they've, they've been able to prove that their floor is about seven wins. So you, if you look at Sam Howell and, and if he adds, two wins above a replacement quarterback, that's a 9-8 and team, and I think that can get you the 6 or 7 seed in the NFC. One of the things that I know you've been working on is projecting passing yards for quarterbacks for this coming season. What is the projected passing yardage total for Sam Howell for the 2023 season? Yes, I I do believe he ranked, uh, I think he ranked right outside the top 20 when when he worked in it. But the, so... The interesting thing with, with Sam Howell is like when you project Mahomes' passing shares, like like how out of all the passes that the Chiefs throw this year, how many of them will be Mahomes? He sits at about ninety five percent, right? Like he'll he'll throw all the passes in games he's healthy, and then the, the chance that he gets injured, he he won't throw the pass in that game. Sam Howell doesn't get a ninety five percent passing share because it's not a guarantee that even if healthy, he's He's playing all the games, so when he sits at like an eighty-five percent passing share, it'll it'll take down his his passing yards a little bit. But you know, if, if you go by yards by attempt, I bet he would be around the middle of the pack because that's usually where we see these these quarterbacks with so much uncertainty get placed in in these uh, bottles. Uh, Sam Howell is being positioned to be the commander's QB1 for this coming season, but the commanders do have quarterback Jacoby Brissett, uh, signed him as an unrestricted free agent this past March, one year, $8 million contract. Brissett in the 2022 regular season, 11 starts for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, he was their starting quarterback uh, during quarterback Deshaun Watson's 11-game suspension, and Brissett did quite well over these 11 games. He, for the 2022 regular season, finished number eight among all qualified NFL quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR and finished number seven among all qualified NFL quarterbacks in Football Outsiders' DVOA metric for passing. The analytics loved Jacoby Brissett's 2022 season. What do you think about Brissett? I, uh, I think most people were, were really impressed with the way Jacoby Brissett played last year, but 
when again when you look at Washington supporting cast like Terry McLaurin has an argument for you know being a, a, a top six top eight receiver in the NFL Dotson has, has come along really nicely uh, Curtis Samuel is, is a good uh, wide receiver three to have there and then the enemy especially was was the Mahomes Travis Kelsey connection so when you look at Logan Thomas there and, and kind of some of the diversity he, he provides from that perspective like I think that's a pretty good supporting cast for a quarterback to walk into and so I could see Jacoby Brissett ranking you know, relatively high in in some metrics you know above 16th in the league based on supporting cast and, and what we saw from him last year but like the thing with these journeyman quarterbacks is we see that they can do it for you know six to ten games it's harder to sustain it for a full season but I think what Washington has to provide might give them an, an advantage in, in that perspective. One more for you. Uh, As you know, we in the NFL in the 2022 regular season had this fascinating phenomenon of the lowest yards per completion for the entire league in league history and also the highest yards per carry for the entire league in league history. Really a stunning development given how much of a passing league the NFL has become. Was this an anomaly or the start of a trend? Ben, I, I think it's a, a great question, and I, I talk to my friend uh, Aaron London about this a lot, and he listens to the show. And you know, I think because of the way that defenses change over time, with you know more two high safeties, and then it, it kind of switches back to single high once once running makes its revival. It's it's very cyclical, and, and we've seen it you know going all the way back to the early two thousands where we had a lot of Tampa two, then the Legion of Boom Seahawks playing a lot of cover three where where passing was able to take off because of that. And now we're kind of seeing the shift back in the other direction. So I do think it's, it's if you were to like look at it on a graph, it was kind of like a wave. So we would, we would expect it to be kind of similar this year as it, as it starts to make its way back. And, and eventually we're going to see a jump uh, in the future on, on passing coming back. But it, I, I don't know necessarily if it was an anomaly, but I think something to consider is the NFL had, the most quarterbacks to ever start a game happened last year because of, of injuries and, and different stuff going on. So if you get more healthiness from the quarterbacks this year, then I, passing is, is going to be better. But it really hinges on how lucky those those teams with the quarterback, with their starting quarterbacks are on, on staying healthy. All right. Great perspective. Tej Seth, data scientist for Sumer Sports. Uh, Tej, thanks a lot. All the best. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Always great to talk to you and, and love everything that you do. Yeah, Ted Seth, very smart NFL mind. Uh, if you have like 20 seconds, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. Uh, you on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two. Uh, but the ratings and the reviews help out the podcast a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. So we on July 4th had some Capitals news. Uh, the Caps on Tuesday afternoon announced that they had re-signed restricted free agent defenseman Martin Fehervari 
to a three-year contract extension with an average annual value and AAV of $2.675 million. Uh, Fehervari was the cap's most significant restricted free agent this offseason. He's going into his age 24 season. He's the kind of player who needs to deliver on his promise if this cap's retool is going to work and uh, the cap's are going to avoid the full-fledged rebuild. Uh, the Caps selected Fehervari in the second round of the 2018 NHL draft. Uh, he has shown promise. Fehervari for last regular season was number one on the Caps in hits with 217 and was tied for number two on the Caps in block shots with 128. But he also, for this past regular season, had a five-on-five shot attempt percentage of just 46.6. You look at the Caps defense score right now, uh, John Carlson, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, Nick Jensen, Rasmus Sandin, Joel Edmondson, who the Camps acquired via trade with the Montreal Canadiens this past Saturday afternoon, and Martin Fehervari. Those six guys right there may well be the Camps' top six defensemen going into this coming season. Although, personally, I really would like to see Alexander Alexiev break through. The Camps took Alexiev with the number 31 pick in the first round of the 2018 NHL draft. Uh, he did spend this past season coming off major surgery, uh, a surgical labral repair on his left shoulder. He underwent that procedure in June 2022. But Alexander Alexiev, Martin Fehervari, and Rasmus Sandin are all really young. Uh, Alexiev's entering his age 24 season. Fehervari is entering his age 24 season. And Sandin's entering his age 23 season. What this Caps retool needs is these guys to rise up. And this is where the Caps' new head coach, Spencer Carberry, comes in. Uh, Carberry was the head coach of the Caps' AHL affiliate, the Hershey Bears, from June 2018 to July 2021. And Carberry, over his three seasons as Bears head coach, coached the likes of Alexander Alexiev and Martin Fehervari. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, perhaps the biggest surprise in the majors this season is the Cincinnati Reds, and uh, the Nationals are finding out why. The Nats have lost the first two games of a four-game series against the Reds at Nationals Park. Monday evening, a 3-2 loss in a game for which the start was delayed by 25 minutes due to rain that uh, never actually came. And then Tuesday, an 8-4 loss in the Nats annual 11.05 a.m. July 4th morning game. Uh, the Nats now are 34-51. and That is the second worst record in the National League. The Reds now have won 18 of their last 22 games and are 47-39, and one game ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers for first place in the National League Central. Uh, we on Tuesday evening had multiple reports that the Nats are bringing outfielder Alex Call back from AAA Rochester. Uh, Call at the Major League level this season, bad offensively, but actually quite good defensively. And boy, <laughs> could the Nats use some good defense right now. Uh, bad defense and bad pitching by the Nats in their 8-4 loss to the Reds on Tuesday. Patrick Corbin was the Nats starting pitcher for this game, and he had a bad outing in uh, his return from the bereavement list, which he was on from Friday until Monday. So I'm not going to hammer Corbin for this start, given uh, that he's dealing with a death, but he certainly struggled on Tuesday, and so did the defense behind him. Corbin allowed six runs in five innings. He gave up 10 hits, two home runs, a double, and seven singles. He issued three walks and a hit by pitch. He recorded just two strikeouts. He threw 93 pitches, 59 strikes versus 34 balls. Corbin in the top of the first allowed two runs on four consecutive one-out hits, but also was failed big time by his defense. Corbin gave up a one-out double by Matt McLean to left field. Corbin then gave up a one-out opposite field RBI single by Jonathan India to right field for a one nothing Reds lead. McLean on this pitch was off and running toward third base before Corbin even got into his delivery. As the Reds in this game ran all over the Nats, this really stood out in this game. The Nats this season have been woeful at preventing stolen bases. The Reds on Tuesday officially 6-for-7 on stolen bases. Uh, Corbin then gave up a one-out opposite field single by Ellie De La Cruz to right field, and De La Cruz then advanced to second base on a throw by right fielder Lane Thomas to third base that was way off. Corbin then gave up a one-out RBI single by Spencer Steer for a 2-0 Reds lead, despite Steer having been down in the count at 1.02. So Corbin did not convert on the strikeout opportunity, but the RBI single, and I put single in quotation marks, by Spencer Steer was amateur hour by the Nats defense. The single came on a fly ball to left center field that fell between three Nats players, fell between shortstop C.J. Abrams, center fielder Derek Hill, and left fielder Corey Dickerson. And then the throw from Abrams to the infield went to third base, allowing Steer to advance to second base. 
just horrendous defense by the Nats in this Reds two run first. But Patrick Corbin did continue to struggle. Uh, Corbin in the top of the third allowed three runs. He gave up a leadoff first pitch single by Ellie De La Cruz to left center field. And then De La Cruz on the very next pitch by Corbin stole second base. Again, the Reds in this game, six for seven on stolen bases. Uh, Corbin issued a nine pitch walk of Spencer Steer. And Corbin gave up a one out three run homer by Nick Senzel to left field for a 5-0 Reds lead. And Corbin in the top of the fourth ladder run on a two-out solo homer by Jonathan India to center field for a 6-1 Reds lead. Uh, this homer was some shot when it projected 421 feet per stat cast. And Corbin then loaded the bases by allowing three consecutive Reds to reach base with two outs, although he then got Nick Senzel to line out to Lane Thomas for the third out. A very disappointing outing for Patrick Corbin, who was coming off a terrific outing. The 4-1 win at the Seattle Mariners last Wednesday, June 28th. Corbin in that game, seven scoreless innings with nine strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up just five hits, all of which were singles, and he threw a lot of strikes. 102 pitches, 68 strikes, versus just 34 balls. But Corbin's start prior to that start at the Mariners was not good. A 13-3 loss at the San Diego Padres on June 23rd. Corbin in that game, seven runs in five innings. Uh, Patrick Corbin now for this regular season, 18 starts, ERA of 513, a whip of 159. Uh, <laughs> those are bad numbers, okay? There's no getting around that. Uh, the Nats in their 3-2 loss to the Reds on Monday evening did get a good start from Jake Irvin. Uh, who was at least decent for a fourth consecutive start since having his turn in the rotation skipped. Uh, that uh, skipping of the turn in the rotation seems to have done Jake Irvin some good. He's been working on some things, and the results have been better. Uh, Irvin, on Monday evening, three runs in six innings. He gave up six hits, a homer, and five singles. He issued a walk. He recorded three strikeouts. He threw 89 pitches, 56 strikes versus 33 balls. Jake Irvin, over the four starts since having his turn in the rotation skipped, has allowed eight earned runs in 22 and two-thirds innings. That works out to an ERA of 3.18. Not bad. Uh, the Nats bullpen in this series against the Reds so far has been all right. Uh, the 8-4 loss on Tuesday, two Nats relievers combined to allow two runs in four innings. Corey Abbott did allow two runs in three innings. He, in the top of the six, allowed a run on a leadoff homer by Jonathan India to center field for a 7-2 Reds lead as the Nats in this game got out-homered by the Reds 3-0. Uh, but Jose A. Ferrer tossed a scoreless top of the ninth with two strikeouts despite issuing two walks. And the 3-2 loss on Monday evening, three Nats relievers combined for three scoreless innings with five strikeouts. Uh, Jordan Weems <laughs> was outstanding on Monday evening. One and a third perfect innings with four strikeouts. Uh, Joe Sorsa in the top of the eighth faced three batters and got two outs. And Amos Willingham tossed a scoreless top of the ninth. Uh, also, the Nats on Monday afternoon put reliever Thaddeus Ward on the 15-day injured list retroactive to Sunday with right shoulder inflammation. Uh, I mentioned the Nats in the 8-4 loss to the Reds on Tuesday, getting out homered 3-0. Just not much offense by the Nats so far 
in this series. Uh, the Nats in the 3-2 loss on Monday evening scored just two runs, totaled just eight hits, six of which were singles, worked one walk, and went one for nine with runners in scoring position. The Nats in the 8-4 loss on Tuesday were better offensively, four runs, uh, just seven hits, but they were comprised of three doubles to go with four singles. And the Nats did work four walks, and the Nats went three for 11 with runners in scoring position. But still, the Nats' lack of firepower continues to stand out. Uh, Lane Thomas is having a good series so far. He's been the Nats' starting right fielder and number one batter for each game. Uh, He, over the two games, is three for eight with two doubles, a single, and an RBI sack fly. Uh, Jammer Candelario has hit the only Nats homer in this series so far. Uh, He has been the Nats' starting third baseman and number three batter for each game. Uh, Candelario in the 8-4 loss on Tuesday, 0-4 with a walk and two strikeouts, but he in that 3-2 loss on Monday evening, 1-3 with a solo homer and a walk. Uh, Candelario in an ads one run fourth, a leadoff homer to center field, and the homer winner projected 414 feet per stat cast. Uh, it was good to see C.J. Abrams have a good game on Tuesday. Uh, he has been the Nats starting shortstop and number eight batter for each game. Uh, he in the 8-4 loss on Tuesday, two for three with two doubles and a walk. But Abrams in that 3-2 loss on Monday evening, 0 for four. Uh, Abrams OPS for this regular season is just 681. Uh, something else with this Nats offense that has stood out is manager Davey Martinez having dropped Joey Manessis in the lineup. Uh, Manessis, for most of this season, has been the Nats' number three or number four batter, but he, for each of these first two games of this series against the Reds, has been the Nats' starting DH and number five batter, uh, with Dominic Smith as the Nats' starting first baseman at number four batter. Uh, Manessis, in the 8-4 loss on Tuesday, one for three with an RBI single and a walk, but Manessis, in the 3-2 loss on Monday evening, 0 for four. Uh, His OPS, for this regular season, is just 688. He has hit just two home runs. That is it, a mere two homers for Joey Manessis. Uh, here was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Davey, rather blunt about what went wrong for the Nats in this game. Take a listen. Not being able to hold runners on, and I'm not going to fault Riley Adams. He had pop time of 189, 193, um, but our pitchers got to get better. I mean, we got to, like I said, it's not not just about the times at home. It's about holding runners, about you know, trying you know, having a better effort, picking guy, trying to pick guys off, stuff like that. So, um, but Riley threw the ball really well. So, I mean, I, you know, like I said, he did everything he could. Um, but we know coming to the series, we told them all, hey, these guys will run. They're going to run on you, so you, you better pay attention to them. So, you know, and then the lack of hitting with guys on base, you know, striking out. You know, we struck out bases loaded twice, and then we just struck out again, man, first and second. I mean, we got we got to move the baseball. You know, that's who we are. Oh, we got to get a good pitch to hit and get ready to hit. So, um, playing the first innings, got the ball's got to be caught. That ball's can't, that ball can't drop. I mean, that's at the tone right th- right then and there. So, um, so you know, we just it's just a rough day today. Got to come back tomorrow and just go one and zero. Yeah, well, Game 3 for the Nats against the Reds, Wednesday night at 7.05. The All-Star, Josiah Gray, will be the Nats' starting pitcher.
Well, Tuesday was the 84th anniversary of maybe the single greatest speech in the history of sports. The luckiest man on the face of the earth speech by legendary New York Yankees first baseman Lou Gehrig. The Orioles on this 84th anniversary of the speech were playing at the Yankees, but the O's were not the luckiest men on the face of the earth. No, the O's are getting roughed up in this big four-game series at the Yankees so far. Monday night, a 6-3 loss in a game in which the O's blew a 3-0 fifth inning lead. Tuesday afternoon, an 8-4 loss despite the O's overcoming a 3-0 fifth inning deficit. The O's now are 49-35. and uh, That is the third best record in the American League, but the O's now are just two games ahead of both the Yankees and the Houston Astros for the top wildcard spot in the American League. And the O's now have lost six of their last seven games. This was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his postgame session with reporters on Tuesday. Well, you know, when you play six months, you're going to have periods of not playing your best baseball. We're in that period right now. Um, we had a tough time last couple of weeks really putting a, a game on the mound and a game at the plate together. We're having a tough time scoring runs. Um, thought we've had a couple of good starts the last couple of games, but uh, haven't executed out of the bullpen. So um, you know, you're going to go through periods of this during the season. Hopefully we can bounce back and get out of this quickly. You have five, you have five games left till the till, till the All Star break. Is that sort of coming at a good time? You think? No, I mean, we have five games to play to the All Star break. We need to play these five games well, and uh, we have not played well um, in the last couple games here. They're playing way faster than we are. They're playing playing good baseball, and and uh, we need to match that. Yeah, Brandon Hyde was not happy after this loss on Tuesday afternoon. Now, we on Tuesday night did get multiple reports that the O's are calling up one of their top prospects, outfielder Colton Kowser, who is the number 14 prospect in all of baseball per MLB pipeline. So that is exciting. You know, it feels like every other day these days, the O's are calling up a top prospect and hopefully Kowser will provide some juice for the O's. Uh, But this series at the Yankees has been rough. Bad series for the Orioles bullpen so far. Orioles relievers over the first two games of this series have combined to allow eight runs, seven earned in four innings. Uh, The 8-4 loss on Tuesday afternoon, three Orioles relievers combined to allow four runs, three earned in two innings. Nick Vespi was charged with three runs in two-thirds of an inning. He had what ended up being a three-run seventh for the Yankees, gave up a solo homer, a double, and an intentional walk. Uh, Brian Baker in that Yankees three-run seventh faced three batters and got just one out. He gave up a two-out, two-run opposite field double by Harrison Bader down the right field line for a 7-3 Yankees lead. And Bruce Zimmerman allowed an unearned run in the bottom of the eighth, and the run was unearned thanks to a fielding error by Zimmerman. Uh, The O's on Tuesday morning recalled Zimmerman from AAA Norfolk. Also on Tuesday morning, the O's put reliever CNL Perez on the 15-day entered list, retroactive to Monday with left forearm soreness. Uh, That is not good when you're a pitcher. Uh, The 6-3 loss on Monday night, four Orioles relievers combined to allow four runs in two innings. Mike Bauman was charged with a run in a third of an inning. He, in a Yankees one-run seventh, faced three batters and got just one out. Yadier Cano officially allowed a run in two-thirds of an inning. He, in the Yankees one-run seventh, issued a two-out run-scoring wild pitch. To tie the game at three, Danny Coulomb officially allowed two runs in a third of an inning. He and the Yankees three-run eighth 
gave up a tie-breaking three-run homer by Harrison Bader on a bomb to left field for a 6-3 Yankees lead. The homer winner projected 415 feet per stat cast. And Chris Valamont, in his Major League regular season debut, tossed two-thirds of a scoreless inning, although he did give up a double. Uh, the O's on Saturday morning selected the contract of Valamont from AAA Norfolk, but the O's on Tuesday morning announced that they had optioned Valamont back to AAA Norfolk after the previous night's game. A lot of roster moves with the Orioles' bullpen lately. A mixed starting pitching for the O's in this series at the Yankees so far. Kyle Gibson in Game 2 was not good for a third consecutive start. Uh, Gibson is not in a great place right now. Gibson in this 8-4 loss on Tuesday afternoon. Four runs in six innings. Now, he only gave up three hits, but the three hits were a two-run homer, a double, and an RBI single. The homer was a two-run homer by Glaber Torres on a bomb to the bleachers in left field in the bottom of the first for a 2-0 Yankees lead. The homer winner projected 436 feet per stat cast, and Gibson issued four walks and a hit by pitch. He recorded four strikeouts. He over 104 pitches through 61 strikes versus 43 balls. But Tyler Wells in game one was good. Uh, Wells in the 6-3 loss on Monday night, two runs in six innings. He gave up five hits, two homers, two doubles, and a single. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He over 86 pitches through 56 strikes versus 30 balls. Uh, Tyler Wells for this regular season does remain number one among all qualified pitchers in the majors in whip. Uh, Tyler Wells' major league leading whip is at 0.90. And then the Orioles' offense in this series at the Yankees has been mixed. Uh, The O's in their 8-4 loss on Tuesday afternoon had just eight hits, but five of the hits were extra base hits, and the O's worked four walks, uh, though the O's did go just one for ten with runners in scoring position. But the former Yankee, Aaron Hicks, he he did homer at his former team. Uh, Hicks as the Orioles starting left fielder and number six batter, one for three with a solo homer and a walk. Uh, he in an Orioles three-run fifth had a one-out solo homer to right field on a one-two pitch to cut the Orioles deficit to 3-1. Uh, Hicks was the Orioles starting left fielder as Austin Hayes missed a second consecutive game due to a left hip contusion. And Adam Frazier, he on Tuesday afternoon as the Orioles starting second baseman and number eight batter, one for two with a two-run homer. Uh, Frazier in the Orioles three-run fifth, a game-tying one-out two-run homer to right field to tie the game at three. Uh, The O's on Tuesday morning did reinstate catcher James McCann from the 10-day entered list, which he had been on since June 18th with a left ankle sprain. Uh, McCann on Tuesday afternoon was the Orioles starting catcher and number nine batter. He went over four with an RBI ground out and two strikeouts. And the O's in that 6-3 loss on Monday night, just three runs and no walks. Uh, the O's did have 12 hits, but the 12 hits consisted of two doubles and 10 singles. So the O's went three for eight with runners in scoring position. Adley Rutschman did have a good game on Monday night. Uh, he is the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter, three for five with an RBI double and two singles. But the O's are having a hard time at the Yankees so far. Uh, Game three for the O's at the Yankees Wednesday night at 7.05. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles' starting pitcher.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 606. We'll provide you with more on the commanders. Also talk nationals and Orioles. It adds on Wednesday night at 7.05 of game three of a four game series against the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park. The O's on Wednesday night at 7.05 of game three of a four game series at the New York Yankees. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. He's super smart. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.